You're listening to a special podcast with Amy Mullins on Uncommon Sense. Uncommon Sense is broadcast every Tuesday between 9am and 12pm on 3RRR FM. Today's podcast brings you the full interview with German film director Lars Kramer. He joined me via the phone from Germany to talk about his film, The People vs. Fritz Bauer, which is currently showing in Melbourne in select cinemas. The People vs. Fritz Bauer is based on a true story and it's a really important story to tell and very largely unknown in Germany and across the world. So I hope you enjoy this chat and look forward to seeing you next time. And you're listening to Uncommon Sense on 3RRR. My name's Amy Mullins and I'm very pleased to announce that we have a special guest who's dialing in from Germany, uh, Mr. Lars Kraumer. He's the director of the film The People vs. Fritz Bauer or in German, De Start gegen Fritz Bauer. And uh, it's a really important film in my view because it deals with a period after World War II in West Germany where really... Germans and people around the world are grappling with this issue of the Holocaust and what really happened. And a lot of people weren't really confronting this issue head on and certainly prosecuting those who were responsible for these crimes. And and that was a really slow and arduous uh, process. And one of the people who was confronting this issue head on and who really um, has made a huge difference, but we didn't really know about him until now, is Fritz Bauer, the key person uh, in this story. It is based on a true story. And I'd just like to start, Lars, by talking about Fritz Bauer and how you came to know about him and choose him as a subject for your film. Yes, hi, hi, Amy. First of all, um, thanks for interviewing me on this film. Um, you see, I was born in Frank in or grew up in Frankfurt um, in the in the seventies, and um, and although Fritz Bauer was state attorney of Hess and he, and he was based in Frankfurt, but he died in sixty eight. I never heard of him during my childhood or my teenage times, and when I came across the story, I was really shocked that people don't really know about didn't really know about him in Germany back then when I was developing the screenplay. So basically it was really just out of curiosity and interest for this, um, for this man and his story, his untold story. This is why, how we started. And you're right there to say that it really is a story that that hasn't been told in full and certainly um, only recently in Germany and really not in English or English-speaking countries. And it's quite surprising because Fritz Bauer, as you say, was an attorney general in Hesse and he also was a really special person in the first place. He became Germany's youngest judge at the age of 27 in Stuttgart, uh, which he was in that role until the Nazis came to power and was also a key member of the Social Democrats and uh, was certainly political, politically active uh, before and during the uh, Nazi reign, and uh, and then came back to Germany. He's a German Jew, so he certainly has a German identity, and that's the way he views himself. You know, in the film, how did you? want to frame a man who has done a great deal for Germany in the legal justice system in this particular issue of war crimes and the Holocaust, what exactly um, were you hoping to achieve by uh, framing it around this hunt for Adolf Eichmann? Well, um, the whole life of Fritz Bauer was very, is very interesting, but from a dramaturgical point of view, the um, the biopic is is always difficult. Um, so we we early on we said um, let's try to make a portrait of this man 
just around this one topic, this this hunt for Adolf Eichmann, and and concentrate on this episode in his life because it basically has everything that's that we wanted to talk about. We wanted to talk about the um, the fact that Nazi crimes were not um, followed up upon in 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 the young um, republic after you know after the end of the Third Reich. There were so many you know the. Basically, uh, Konrad Adenauer, the chancellor at that time, he he knew he had to rebuild the country, and he and he didn't really follow up on all these crimes because he simply didn't have other people or people who were basically not involved in in war crimes. And um, and because they needed all these people, they they simply um, kept this silence. And there has been there have been um, researches that, for example, you know, amongst judges and and um, state attorneys, up to the 60s, 70s, so many, like, I don't know, like 80% of the people who were in charge in, you know, in the legal system had been in the same positions during the Third Reich. So, so basically, uh, we thought this episode of Fritz Bauer's life, The Chase for Eichmann, deals with all these topics, with the silence of, after the war, with the, um, you know, um, with the attempt of Fritz Bauer from his isolated position as, a, as you said, as a German Jew, as a probably homosexual man, and as a socialist, which was not very much liked in the Adenauer Republic. Um, for all these, all these character traits of him, we could portray in this one um, episode, this hunt for Eichmann on, on top. It is very interesting that um, that everybody knows that Adolf Eichmann was put to tr- was sent to, uh, put to trial in in Jerusalem, but and you know and, and everyone knows about the famous Mossad operation that that um, how they captured him in in um, Argentine and so on. But no one really knew that behind this famous operation was this isolated you know kind of old cuffing man Fritz Bauer um, from his desk in Frankfurt that he really um, found the first lead that, that put the Mossad um, behind Eichmann and so on. So all these, all these things we thought, you know, this whole untold story is, 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 is interesting and it, and it gave us enough room to, yeah, to talk about all these topics that we wanted to touch upon. As we see in the film, he receives a great deal of death threats um, on a regular basis because he is out there as a quite a lone figure um, and and very aware and tactical in his way of um, ensuring that his ultimate aim of um, speaking the truth and bringing these people to justice are achieved. And I think it's a great story arc for a film, but certainly amazing that it is true and around this one man. In terms of how you portray Fritz and certainly it is the true story of, he is really not just finding this lead or encountering this lead through a letter from a man in Argentina, but then he he follows up this lead with the Mossad and then really basically takes it all the way through to them being captured. How much of a, a central figure do you see Fritz Bauer as? And in the film, it seems that he is portrayed as really the unsung hero of this story, um, which is great to see. Uh, you know, brought to light. I mean, this is this film is, of course, um, an interpretation of um, of what of all the sources we read about Fritz Bauer, his biographies, all the material that we could get hold of. There was a huge uh, exhibition in the year before we started shooting the film at the Jewish Museum in Frankfurt that portrayed Fritz Bauer. And what we didn't know up to then, um, we found out in, in, you know, with the help of these um, of the um, historians of the Jewish Museum in Frankfurt. 
so everything that we talk about is is basically is basically true. He was a very isolated character. He lived alone. He he had you know he had married during the war, but really just to protect him in his exile in Denmark. He had been um, arrested by the um, Danish police twice because he was together with male prostitutes. So homosexuality played a role in his life. It never did later in you know in in his time back in Germany because it was still under uh, forbidden under the law 175 um, and threatened with prison. So in order to 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 be able to work as a state attorney, um, he really had to. Um, uh, yeah, he, t- he really had to give up every kind of private life, basically, and he was willing to do that. So, th- to you know, to risk that um, for a bigger goal for executing this job um, was is part of his character, and and this is what why we took in this paragraph one seven five problem for homosexual men at, at that time in Germany. Um, the way we portrayed that is um, it's mirrored through this second um, character, Karl Angermann, and that is. Uh, a young attorney who who um, who works with him on the chase of Eichmann and who who shares the problem of um, being homosexual at that time, and that is not a real existing uh, character that didn't exist. But Fritz Bauer was only um, working with young attorneys at that time because they were old enough to take over responsibility in the young republic, but you know too young to be guilty of any war crimes. So he did always um, work with young attorneys, but this Karl Angermann is fictitious. And the, and, um, the reason why he is fictitious is because everything we, we project on this fictitious character um, is, uh, are the things that we couldn't really research on the real characters. And we didn't want to blame or to put anything, you know, to create any, any fake stories about real characters um, that, that really did exist in the time. But, for example, there was a young attorney who um, who worked for Fritz Bauer, not on the Eichmann case, but he was, um, for example, um, uh, chasing uh, Mengele for for Fritz Bauer, and he was later blackmailed because he was uh, years later because uh, of his homosexuality. So, um, so even this Angerman character is, is you know is put together from research and from things we read about the time and about the the young man who worked with Fritz Bauer. But the character itself did not exist. But uh, again, again, everything we talk about, uh, we, we, we talk about Fritz Bauer, um, everything we, we put in the film about Fritz Bauer is really researched and, and kind of profound. Absolutely. And it does come across because um, when I was having a look into Fritz Bauer and looking at some images of him, there were pictures of him at his office desk and the wallpaper behind him is quite literally the same as the wallpaper you see in the film. And I thought that attention to detail was very deliberate and really impressive. Yes, yes. The, it, it's all, we tried to get very close to the real man because he was he is a very eccentric and very impressive character, and the way Burkhard Klausner, our main actor, um, um, plays this man is is very interesting because he had this. I don't know if you can get that in the in the in his German is very special. He he talks with an accent from the southwest of Germany, and Burkhard Klausner, for example, imitates that accent not because you know we wanted to imitate the accent, but because it's so interesting to show that that um, these assimilated German Jews, the f- kind of bourgeois families that a man like Fritz Bauer came from, they were, you know, they were, they've been uh, living for 
for generations in Germany, and they were really assimilated, and um, they had a symbiotic existence here with the German culture. And the fact that the Nazis came and tried to separate Germans and Jews, and to say that you know that Jews are not German, was uh, was just ridiculous because these people, just like Fritz Bauer says, even in the film, his father has been working for the um, Kaiser for the for the emperor and um, has been fighting in the first world war um, for for the for the kaiser and these people were really they were yeah they were so assimilated and and felt so secure within the german culture this is why they couldn't believe that that hitler was actually really happening and and um, this is for example why it was so important to 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 even portray Bauer with this very specific accent. And then again, you know, then we have this body language of this man. The way he talks is why we put him, his documentary material in the beginning of the film, his body language is so tight and he's, you know, he's trying to, you have the feeling that his whole body is kind of exploding any second or so. And, and, and this shows this huge tension, I think, that he was under um, all the time. And, and he was a chain smoker, and we tried to capture all these little details that we could um, that we could find in his and uh, to, to portray him. You mentioned there the the performance by Klausner, um, and and that amazing section of of the documentary footage of the real Fritz Bauer, which opens the film, and it just it's a great way to open it and set the scene. Not only because it really brings it home that this is real, but also then it's very hard to tell the difference between the actor and the real Fritz Bauer. Um, I think his his acting has been phenomenal. Yes, thanks. I, I think so too. I'm you know it's one thing to write a script about someone with an impressive story like that. Um, I mean, that's a great treasure to find as a screenwriter, but once you've written the script, you have the problem that you need someone to really play it. And then, and then that's really difficult. And, and I was so happy that I found Burkhardt. And, and Burkhardt Klausner is, uh, you know, from a generation, he knew Fritz Bauer, other than me. He, you know, he was a student in the 60s. And Fritz Bauer back then for the student movement in Germany was a real... A father figure and a, and 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 someone really important. Um, you know, the the student movement in in the 60s was was very strong in Frankfurt, and they had some. You know, there were some old angry men that were kind of important for these for these students, and that was, for example, Adorno, the philosopher, and the um, and and Fritz Bauer. And then only because Bauer died in 68, I think the majority of people was in Germany was was not holding up his. His name, because they, because he had been unpleasant, and he asked unpleasant questions, and and people were kind of not fighting for his, um, for his reputation enough. But Burkhardt knew him, and um, and he was very happy to 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 play this part. And. Um one of the lines from that opening monologue, which picks up on what you've just said, is that he says, I believe that the younger generation in Germany is prepared to learn about Germany's entire history and the whole truth, something which their parents sometimes have difficulty confronting, which really does encapsulate 
what this whole film is about because he does constantly see his peers undermining him at every step, suggesting that Eichmann is in Kuwait uh, when, you know, Bauer knows that uh, that he's in Argentina or has a strong feeling that he does. But you, then you see that uh, the Mossad, uh, although very reluctant in the beginning, do actually see um, this special character of Fritz Bauer and that even... The head of the Mossad in his book, his name Issa Harel, certainly talks about how much of a warm person and how much he was actually loved by those who were outside Germany or those in Israel who were working with him. And that does does also come through in the portrayal that Klausner enacts in the film, is this warmth and deep humanity and commitment to justice. Yes, yes, yes. It's very important because... Um, um, what what people tried to blame him for was was revenge, but Bauer was not driven by revenge. It was not uh, he was not an, an a man who came back from exile and wanted to just to put to to, uh, to hold trial on those people who committed crimes. What he really wanted was a chance to face the crimes that have been committed and to talk about the things that happened because he wanted to educate the country. And that is the that is the, the the sad story behind it all that, that Germany or you know probably every culture that that has committed huge crimes like that um, is is unable to face these crimes and that and people simply don't want to learn from their past. And this is why he but this is so interesting about about Fritz Bauer. He for example he, he included himself in when he talked about the Germany that has to to talk about its past. He never said, we have to talk about your past, but about our past. So, so this is really important that, that this um, educational aspect in his, um, in his work um, and, and the way Germany just tried to, you know, to not talk about it. You have to see there has never been an intellectual leader of the Third Reich sent to um, prison within Germany, never. They all managed to basically get rid of it, and I think um, just recently, with um, the, it's less than ten years ago, with the John Demjanjo case, for the first time, German courts followed the idea of Fritz Bauer that you could be uh, um, sentenced even if if you did not pull the trigger yourself. So, um, being part of the of the machinery was not punished for a long time. So these ideas of, of football, the way he wanted to educate the, the country, that, that's, the, that's the interesting part of his, of his driving force, basically. And a legacy that continues, as you say, that now those who are involved in the machinery of it actually are being prosecuted, or at least the ones that remain. And as you say, he, it wasn't to do with revenge. He was willing to give up the power he had as an attorney general and was risking his reputation, really, to commit a treasonous act um, under the law, which was to give his lead to the Mossad and continue working with them instead of the own, his own state police and Interpol, uh, because he knew that should he share that information, Eichmann would be tipped off. And he was also willing to give up the the certainty that he would be able to prosecute Eichmann in Germany. Uh, I'm sure he knew that Israel would certainly want to prosecute him in, in Israel. He certainly is portrayed as this 
not a sacrificial figure, but just someone who really acts by his ideals. And I think that's a bit of a rare um, occurrence, but certainly at this time and in this political climate, it's very important to have these role models and see that there are these very good people who exist in dark times. And in terms of the film and and how you um, actually constructed it and the technicalities of it, where did you film the film? And uh, what, what were some of the technical challenges involved with it? Well, German filmmaking is, is of course, um, limited in its budgets, and um, and we had to recreate a lot of, you know, the world of the 50s, which is simply impossible. In an in industrial nation like Germany, everything has been renovated at least four times since the 50s, so every corner on the street is does not look like um, back then anymore. And um, and it, you know if you don't work on huge budgets and 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 reconstruct kind of studio or, you know, build studio lots or whatever then then you have to um, yeah then you have to to find ways so that was one thing um, interesting was that we had to uh, you know not only shoot in Germany but also in Israel and basically Argentina but um, but we couldn't afford all that so we shot the Argentina scenes with Eichmann in Israel, which was um, great to go to Israel with the film. And, and of course, we shot the Israel scenes in, in Israel, too. So, um, the, so the German crew um, uh, go, went to Israel for, for two weeks, and that was great, because um, if you work on a film like that, it's, it's, of course, it's very interesting you know, to, to, to meet with Israeli people, production crew, they all have their kind of stories within their families, um, lots of uh, lots of connections to to the Holocaust and and Germany, of course, and that was a very very interesting exchange. You work on long days, not enough budget, and, and try to tell the story as good as you can. And I think the most important thing, as I said, is you have to find actors who can really play these 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 difficult characters believably because that's that's really what the film is about the portrait of this man I can tell you that you can't tell that it's on a low budget. Um, certainly the production values are excellent. And, and as you say, it really is the acting that carries this film as well as the script and the, and the directing. Um, it really is impossible to fault. And interestingly, Michael Schenk, who played Eichmann, was really quite eerily similar looking to Eichmann. Um, and I heard that some people also picked that up when you were in Israel. Yeah, it was terrible for him. He's an old friend of mine. He's a great actor, and um, when he when he agreed to play the role of Eichmann, he did not know that he would have to play it on an on a marketplace in Tel Aviv, and with with Israeli extras playing the Argentinian, you know, people, and and then and then the, you know they, he was there in this Eichmann dress, and the extras came and took pictures with their mobile phones of him um, and said, I want a selfie with Adolf Eichmann too. And he said, Lars, this is so terrible, this position that you brought me in. <laughs> but it was, um, but he, yeah, but it was, um, that's the strange things you create when you make films about these issues. I mean, I'm, I was, one thing I have to say about this is I was really happy because as a filmmaker, sooner or later you come to the point where you, of, co- of course, you want to, to deal with the German history because German history is so violent and 
complicated and it is very interesting to tell stories about this. On the other hand, if you make a film about um, the Holocaust, it's always dangerous because it's always also an exploitation of this horror. And um, and this story was uh, was so interesting for me because as it was a film I could make because I did not, other, uh, except the one scene of Adolf Eichmann, I did not have the problem that I had to make images of this horror to create, to make, a, to tell a story about these things. You know, I did not have to exploit this situation. I didn't have to put extras in camp dresses and I did not have to put German actors in Nazi uniforms again. So all this is in the subtext of the film and, and that was um, why I felt that it was okay to make, a, to, to make it, to really actually shoot these scenes because otherwise I think it's always kind of yeah, it's it's hard for me to watch these films um, that, that actually go to the time and 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 reenact this time, if you understand what I mean. But this was a great opportunity for me to make this film. I definitely do understand that, and it is why the film is very powerful because you see these people, not only Fritz Bauer, but also those who were Nazi officials or had Nazi leanings in the film. And it certainly is um, even more eerie to see them dressed um, in normal civilian clothing and speaking with this legacy language or understanding of German Jews and the way that they're spoken of and treated um, still seems to echo throughout the film. And it really is even more powerful to see that. Just finally, Lars, with your filmmaking at the moment, do you have any intention on um, following up on this story or any other unknown stories of people in Germany around this issue of Germany, the Holocaust, and prosecuting those who weren't brought to justice? Not directly. I'm working on a film. Actually, we start shooting in three weeks um, about this, the same time and the same in the late 50s in Germany. Um, but um, uh, and a true story, but it's set in the in the east in the GDR, and it's about um, uh, it's about a group of um, uh, students who are just about to finish school, and um, and they got into a terrible trouble with the party and and, and tested their solidarity, um, and it's 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 a very interesting story about developing a political awareness when you're 18, 19 years old. And it's and and it's kind of a counterpiece to the Fritz Bauer film because it's really about the um, how did Germany develop after the tyranny of the Third Reich, and how did people um, deal with all these uh, secrets that were that were around in these fifties. And when that film is finished, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm again working on German history, but that the next time I'm working on a TV series about Bauhaus about the the times you know earlier in 1990 the the famous Bauhaus school was opened and we work we 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 make a tv series about that and and how nazis came to power in germany so i do again work about you know on german history but but slightly different than this Fritz Bauer story that all sounds really fascinating and i um, wish you all the best of luck for the shooting of um that film and that tv series thank you very much and um, and and thank you for your interest in, in in my film, and I, I hope that Australians come and watch it. It's, uh, I would love to I would love to come and see it myself. It's too far away. And you've been listening to the Uncommon Sense podcast. I'm Amy Mullins, the host of this show on Three Triple R. You can listen in every Tuesday. 
in Melbourne at 9am till 12pm. And if you are elsewhere, you can listen online through the Triple R website. Hope to see you again next time.